0: I want to invite you to open your Bibles up with me to the New Testament letter to the Colossians. If you haven't been with us for a while, you should know we are in a series right now in the book of Colossians. The, uh, the letter's only four chapters long, and so I gave myself four weeks, and the good news is this is week four, and we are at the end of chapter one. <laughs> we're not moving as fast as I thought we were going to. Honestly, it's been rich, and, and God's word has is, is just come alive off the page to us week in and week out. And that's, that's my heart, regardless of whether we get through the whole book or not. My heart is that God's word would come alive in your heart and in your spirit. Let me tell you something about this little letter to the Colossians that you haven't heard from me yet. And of all, all the letters that Paul wrote, he wrote many, of all the churches that he wrote to, Colossae was the least significant, the least important town. I mean, when it comes to the the big players for the advancement of the gospel, Colossae wasn't that big uh, of an important city. And yet, in this little letter, less than 2,000 words, we get Christ exalted higher than anywhere else in the word of God. And let me just say right here as we begin, that's the way the gospel works. It goes to the least of these. It goes to the overlooked, the marginalized. So let me just say before we even crack open the text here, that if you're here today and you feel a little bit unworthy, if you feel a little overlooked, you feel a little bit marginalized, let me tell you, you're in good company. The gospel and God's work is for you today. Amen? Anybody believe that? All right. I guess you guys were all picked first for the team. I I don't know. I I got overlooked a few times on the playground. That resonated with me. I was like, thank you, Jesus. Somebody picked me. Okay. Well, thanks for that therapy session. I appreciate it. We're going to go right into Colossians chapter 1, and we are, by God's grace, going to get to the end of the chapter today. But I want to jump in at verse 19 and 20. And before we read it, Let me just tell you what was happening here in the Colossian church. This church started out strong. I mean, they started out really well, but just like Christians in our generation, they started to be attracted to the philosophies of the day. They began to adopt ideologies from the culture and from other belief systems that ultimately, regardless of what they were specifically, ultimately, they made less of Jesus and more of man's wisdom. And that's the cautionary tale of Colossians. That we, in our day and age of information and expertise and books and podcasts on anything and everything, we should be cautious that we don't make less of Jesus and more of man's wisdom. And so Paul's aim is to just exalt Jesus above all of it. And he lifts Jesus higher. See, the false teachers, they weren't denying Jesus. They were dethroning him. It's not that they didn't give Jesus prominence They just didn't give him preeminence. And so Paul comes on the scene to say, Jesus is supreme over all of it, over every new idea, over every philosophy, over every religious tradition. He's Lord over all of it. And let me just say again, I know we're going to get to the text, I promise, but let me just get this off my heart today. The devil is not intimidated, in the least, by a church that believes in a weak, non-confrontational, let's all just be friends, motivational speech-giving Jesus. Not bothered by that church. What he is intimidated by is the church that sees Jesus the way that John the Revelator saw Jesus. In Revelation, he gets a picture of Jesus. I love this, this picture. In Revelation 1, verse 17, John says, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Like, think of that next time. You're like, oh, you know, I'd believe if I could just see Jesus. John didn't want to see Jesus. (laughs) John saw Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, and he fell out on the floor. He said, I fell out dead, but then he placed his right hand on me, and he said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys to death. In Hades, I just wonder if anybody in the 10 a.m. service has seen that Jesus. Come on, have you seen a resurrected Lord? He's alive today. He's alive, and he said, "I live forever, and I hold the keys." If he holds the keys to death and hell, I can promise you can hold the key that you're locked out of. So, in a few minutes, we're gonna we're gonna do something special. It's the first Sunday of the month. We're gonna receive communion together, and the reason that I want to do it—we don't typically do it in the middle of the message—but that's my intention today. Because what's been happening so far in the text is Paul has been communicating who Jesus is. He's the Savior. He's the Creator. He's the head of the church. He is God. But now he's going to say how he became that. Not just that he did redeem us, but how he redeemed us. Look at verse 19 with me. This is where we left off last weekend. Paul writes, For God was pleased. To have all of his fullness dwell in him, in Jesus. Now, r- let me remind you, the full, that word fullness is a key word. He's going to use that word like eight times in this little letter because that word, the word pleroma in the Greek, was a word that the Greek philosophers loved. The word pleroma or fullness, it meant the, the full expression or the sum total of all the divine attributes and powers. So the, the false teachers, the Gnostics, they believed that the only person who could possess uh, eternal life or move on to a spirit life was a person that had a divine spark. That's the only person that had the hope of escaping this earthly physical existence. And even if you had that spark, that supernatural enlightenment, even then, you still weren't guaranteed an automatic escape from this world. You had to then receive gnosis. That word means knowledge. You had to receive knowledge before you could become aware of your own spiritual condition. And so for the Gnostics, the hope of salvation was that they were gonna receive some divine knowledge from some spiritual emanation. And that knowledge, that insight, was gonna unlock for them the opportunity to escape an evil earthly existence into a spiritual heavenly existence. That's that's what they wanted. They wanted the full sum total of the knowledge. Paul says, You don't need all that, Jesus is the fullness. Jesus is the sum total of the knowledge of God. He's all of it. He started it. He's going to end it. And then it says this in verse 19. Not only was God pleased to let his fullness dwell in him, but in verse 20 he says, And through him, through Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. This is the first moment that Paul explicitly mentions the blood and the cross of Christ Jesus. He's told you who Jesus is. Now he's telling you how Jesus did it. He made peace with God through the blood shed on the cross. Now there's a lot of people that maybe you've even thought this before. As you have a loved one that's that, that's dying, they're getting ready to, to step into eternity. Sometimes we find peace and consolation in a statement like, well, they've made peace with God. And if if you've had a loved one on their deathbed, that that statement can bring consolation. They've made their peace with God. But let's make sure that our theology is right. Understand what this verse is saying. There's only one way to make peace with God. It's through the shed blood of Jesus on the cross. And Paul says through that work, he's made peace on the earth, he's made peace in heaven, and then he says the most astounding, amazing thing. This is the good news of the gospel. He says, even you, like, God, through the shed blood of Jesus, can make peace even with you. And that's why he just flows right into the next verse. And he says, once, in verse 21, you were alienated from God. You were enemies in your mind because of your own evil behavior. And I love this. This, this is just good theology for the church. He's saying, this is why you were an enemy of God. This is why you were an alienated from God. Not because you're a Gentile and we're Jews. Not because we're from Jerusalem and you're, you're from Colossae. Not because of the family you were born into, your race, your ethnicity, your, your economic status. None of that. You were alienated from God. You were an enemy of God because of your own sinful behavior. It's Paul's declaration in Romans that says, All have sinned and fall short of God's glory. He said, You were a sinner. You were an enemy of God. Because of your own sinful behavior. But, but look at the next verse. But now. But now. He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Come on. Verse 22. That's our testimony. That's our testimony. Aren't you glad your story has a but now in it? Amen. Like, I, I used to be the enemy of God. I used to be alienated. I was far from God. But now, I feel like this morning I could pass the mic because some of you got a big butt now. You know what I'm talking about. You know what you used to be. But now, has it changed your life? Can you laugh about it? Can you smile about it? Because you don't live there anymore. Amen? I don't live there anymore. He says that this is what God has done through Christ. And notice this in this verse. Paul emphasizes Christ's physical body through death. Now, he actually overemphasized. I mean, he could have said this a lot of ways. He could have said, but now he has reconciled you through death. He could have said he has reconciled you through Christ's death. But Paul says, but now he has reconciled you through Christ's Physical body. Why did he do that? He did it because he's combating this false teaching. The, the Gnostics of the day were corrupting the church, and one of their false teachings was that all matter is evil. Now, last week I talked about the fact that because all matter is evil, they came to the conclusion that God could not have created the earth because God is holy and pure, and, and, and the earth is made of matter. And so Paul had to come on strong in saying that it's all in him, through him, and by him. Jesus created it all. But they also believe that because all matter is evil, that the human body is evil. That it's just corrupt at its most atomic level. And so because the, the Christians believed that Jesus was the Savior of the world, and yet they wanted, to, they wanted to amalgamate this philosophy of the day. And again, this is happening in our culture, so this is a warning to the church. You can't just embrace all the new teaching that people have out, the new definitions. You can't just change the, the word of God to fit the social construct. Because they were trying to do that, they had to come to terms with the fact that Jesus was a man. Evil matter. But Jesus never sinned in word, thought, or deed. So here's the conclusion they came to in this Gnostic-influenced church. Jesus wasn't actually a man. He wasn't actually a flesh he appeared that way but it was supernatural in fact some of the gnostic romances said that when jesus walked on the earth he didn't leave any footprints doesn't that sound like a plot for a a a low-budget christian film (laughs) or like a a romantic scene you know in a in a hallmark movie you know like picture the scene right you know like there this is a strange man that has been sighted in town People don't really know who he is. Nobody knows his name. But there was a kid in the children's hospital last week that miraculously recovered. And then there was a a head-on collision, and the car was on fire, and some guy showed up and pulled him out, but nobody saw who he was. And then he saved this kid drowning in the ocean, but when they tried to track him down, they couldn't find him because there's no footprints. He doesn't leave footprints. And we'd all watch that, and we'd be like, oh, I bet it's Jesus. Like, we would love that story. Can I tell you, every false doctrine is rooted in an agenda to separate you from Christ. And what this false doctrine teaches is that you can't relate to Jesus and he can't relate to you. He doesn't know the pain you're feeling. He's never walked a mile in your shoes. He doesn't know what you're going through. Why? Because he's not like you. He doesn't even leave footprints in the ground. So Paul says you used to be alienated from God, but now... Now, you've been redeemed. Now, you've been reconciled. And you were reconciled by Christ's physical body through death. He's saying Jesus has felt your pain. Paul is saying what Isaiah prophesied over 700 years before this. In Isaiah 53, describing Jesus. He said he grew up before him like a tender shoot. And like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. That's like the nicest way possible to say somebody is ugly. I mean, maybe Isaiah crossing a line here. I'm not sure. But he said, that, you know, like we picture, like, I mean, think about it. Whether it's in the family coffee table Bible or in the pictures that kids bring downstairs from kids church. We always expect Jesus to be the most beautiful person on the page. Right? like we pick like he's four like you oh that's the son of god like obviously when he walks in like that's got to be that's got to be the son of god no isaiah said there was nothing innately attractive or anything that set him apart in his physical appearance he goes on and he says in verse 3 he was despised and rejected by mankind a man of suffering and familiar with pain like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Paul says, Jesus came, and he died a physical death in a physical body so that you could be redeemed. And then the amazing thing is he says right there in verse 22, you you can be holy in God's sight not some future uh, emanation of your spiritual being, you, you, a physical man, woman, you can be made holy in God's sight without blemish and free from accusation. That's a powerful statement. He said, you, and in fact, that, that ought to have an exclamation point after it, that you and I right now, can, that God could see us because of the shed blood of Jesus on the cross. He could see you today Free of accusation. Without blemish. Faultless. But Paul doesn't put an exclamation point there. He doesn't even put a period at the end of the sentence. Because as he's talking about what Christ has done through the cross, like in a stream of conscience, he just flows right into verse 21. And he says this, in in verse 23, he says, if, if you continue in your faith, established and firm. And do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven of which I, Paul, have become a servant. So he said this this message hasn't changed. The one you heard in the beginning, same one I'm preaching today. I'm a servant of that message. But look at what Paul's doing. And I hope if you have a Bible, I hope it's open. I hope you're looking at this on on the page. Because what Paul does in verse 22 is, is he sandwiches the finished work of redemption. Between the causes of separation from Christ. In verse 21 and in verse 23. First in verse 21, it's a reminder of your past. You were enemies of God. You were alienated from God by your own sinful behavior. And then he gives the good news. But now, you're redeemed. You're saved. You're forgiven. And then right after that, he says, if you continue in the faith. If you hold on to the hope that's held out in the gospel. and So so Paul gives warnings here from our past and from the possibility of our future in this text. This is why Paul's writing, because he's writing to people. They started out well. They used to be lost. They used to be the enemies of God. But now they're saved people. And Paul's saying, I don't want you to move away from the hope that's held out in the gospel. I don't want you to move towards legalism. I don't want you to move towards paganism. I don't want you to move towards mysticism or or philosophy. He doesn't want them to move away from the criteria of salvation by adding more steps. And he doesn't want them to subtract from what it looks like to living a life of faith. So he says, don't be who you used to be, but man, don't move away from this moment of salvation. In fact, I want to ask some of the musicians to come back because right here as we kind of lean into the truth of the gospel, that's sandwiched here between what your past looked like and and a warning about your future, I want to invite us to just lean in to the truth of Colossians 1.22. And what would happen, I wonder, if in 2022 we got a hold of the revelation of verse 22. Once I was, but now in Christ. I'm blameless. I'm faultless. I'm free of accusation if I continue, if I hold on to the hope that's in this gospel. So I want to invite you to take the communion cups that that are in the cup holders in front of you. And in just a moment, we're going to receive communion. And Lacey's just going to sing this simple prayer over us. I'm going to just invite you to just take take a moment and go back into a moment of worship. Jesus said, as often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. So this is a moment that we want to receive communion. And as we receive the bread and the cup, let's not forget what they represent. Christ's physical body of death. This bread says Jesus knows my pain. It says he can relate to my struggles. He understands my fear. He knows what it feels like to be rejected. He knows what it is to be lonely, to be tired, to be frustrated. He knows. And and, and the blood speaks to us that That Jesus conquered our sin. Not not because of some cosmic waving of the hand, but because he came down and he carried our sin. He carried it. The Bible says he became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. So so as we take these emblems today, just let it be a moment that you say, I want to take Jesus close to my heart. Thank thank you, Lord, that today I, I used to be an enemy. I used to be alienated, but now because of Christ's physical body, through his death, I'm redeemed. I'm redeemed, Lord. Just take a moment. And thank the Lord, and when you're ready, let's receive the elements. Father, we thank you today for redemption. Through the broken body and the shed blood of our Lord. Regardless of any accusation or lie that would come against us, today we declare, now we are reconciled by Christ presented holy in His side without blemish and free from accusation. And we purpose in our hearts today, Lord, to continue in the faith, established and firm, to not move from the hope held out in the gospel. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 You can place those cups back in the cup holders. We'll collect those after service. Thank you for leading us in that moment. I want to turn your attention to the final paragraph in chapter one. As Paul moves towards the end, he kind of pauses right here to give a moment of explanation for why he's in prison. I mean, if you had someone that, you know, your pastors were looking up to as the leader of the church, and they were incarcerated, wouldn't you want to know why? (laughs) Like, we're missing a detail here. And so Paul just kind of jumps in in verse 24 and he says, Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, which is the church. Now that's a mouthful, and, and it almost sounds like he's saying like, Jesus didn't suffer enough, so I'm here to finish that. But let me assure you, that's not what he's saying. When Jesus hung on the cross, he said, it is Finished any minute. But what Paul is saying is, Jesus promised he would build his church. And the church is still being built. The gospel is going to new people groups and to new places. And if the way that the gospel advances is through suffering, then Paul's saying, I count that as a joy. I will gladly suffer. He didn't look at suffering for the sake of the gospel as a penalty, he saw it as a privilege. And so he said, I'll take that because the gospel is going forward and I'll just accredit that as suffering in Jesus' name. And then he says this in verse 25, I've become a servant by the commission that God gave to me to present to you the word of God in all its fullness. And he's like poking the gnostic bear right there. That's that word play, Roma again. He's like, by the way, not only is Jesus the fullness, but the word of God is the whole word of God. This is the fullness of God's word. You don't need a special revelation. You don't need to go to a seminar. You don't need to get somebody's YouTube prophetic word. Come on. This is the fullness. Don't read that wrong. I believe in prophecy, but some of these folks are getting weird out there. If the only platform you can get people to follow you on is a digital one, that might be a warning. Not everybody deserves a megaphone. Paul said you need to know the fullness of God's word. It's right here. It's right here. This is the fullness of God's word. And then he says to him in verse 26, this is the mystery. And they loved mysteries. He said, this is the mystery that's been kept hidden for ages and generations, but it is now being disclosed to the Lord's people. Verse 27, to them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So Paul is saying, like you're looking for all of these, uh, all of these mysteries and the, these spiritual revelations. I'm gonna tell you what the mystery is. For generations past, the Jews never knew that the gospel was for the Gentiles. But in this generation, in your lifetime, God has chosen through me, his servant, to reveal to you the hidden mystery of God. That's the mystery. And so Paul's explaining this is his unique assignment to reveal the hidden mystery. Mystery of the gospel to his generation. It's, it's our assignment too, by the way. There are plenty of people that don't know that this gospel is for them. But remember, Paul is he's confronting Jewish legalism and, and pagan mysticism. So when he gets to verse 28, he really drives home his mission and the power of the gospel. And I want to read verse 28 out of a different translation. The NIV is good, but it, it reads too good. The New King James Version makes it sound very redundant. And I think that's actually Paul's point. The redundancy is in the original text. And so look at verse 28 in the New King James Version. Paul says, him, he's talking about Jesus, him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ. So in this one verse, Paul says there's wisdom There's warning, and there's a reward, and it's for every man. Now, the Jews would have never believed that God had a purpose for every man because they were God's man. They were the Jews. They were God's chosen people. They were the sons of Abraham. So Paul says, hey, God has a purpose and a plan and a reward for every man. And the Gnostics would have never believed that God's wisdom would be available for every man because that's only for the spiritual aristocracy. That's only for the elite, those that that have the gnosis. They're the ones that have the, the secret spark of divine wisdom. And Paul says, no, no, no. There's a warning for every man, there's wisdom for every man, and there's a reward for every man. Can I just ask the question? Maybe you can ask yourself, do you believe that still? I mean, that's an easy amen on a Sunday morning, but is there anybody in your life that you would look at and go, that person's beyond being reached? Paul would say, every man. That person could never live Christ-like. That person could never be called blameless without blemish, faultless in God's sight. Every man. That person could never grow in the wisdom of God. Man, they're so dumb. They're so ignorant. They're so hard-headed. Every man. Paul says, this is the hope of the gospel. It's still a whosoever will may come gospel. It's for every man. Now look at the last verse in the chapter. Paul says, to this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. With all the energy that Christ works in me. This is an awesome statement because in verse 11, a couple weeks ago, we saw that this was Paul's prayer for the church. This is how he prays for Christians. In verse 11, he prayed that the church would be strengthened with all power according to Jesus' glorious might. Now in verse 29, he's testifying. He's saying, you want to know the way that I endure hardship, the way that I endure imprisonment, the way that I continue to faithfully preach the word, the way that I just keep my hands on the plow in in good times and in bad times, when the gospel's in season, when it's out of season, here's how I do it. I do it with all the energy that Christ so powerfully works in me. Can I remind us, church, that God's plan for the kingdom has not changed. He started the church, Acts chapter 2, in the power of the Holy Spirit, and he has every intention that the way we're going to accomplish Heaven's assignment in the earth is through the power of the Holy Spirit. He said, this is how we do this. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. And and just the same way that there is warning and there is wisdom and there is reward for every man, there is heaven's resource available For every man, for every woman, for every child. Joel 2 says, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will have visions. Your old men will dream dreams. This power of the Holy Spirit is God's plan for how we do the work. Paul said, it's the, the strength of Christ working in me over and over again Jesus communicated how important it was that the disciples received the baptism in the Holy Spirit. He even said, it's good that I go. I'm leaving you, but it's a good thing because when I go, the Holy Spirit's going to come. He told them, go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost came. They were all in the upper room in one accord. When the Spirit fell... Paul preaches and he didn't say hey God gave us this special power so that we could start the church and write the New Testament. No. When he preached that message in Acts chapter 2 he said this promise is for you and for your children and for your children's children and for as many who are afar off as the Lord our God will call. This power is available for everybody who wants it. Because this is the way the church works. It's fascinating. This week I read a a study that was just put out by Pew Research about Pentecostalism and the charismatic church. Let me me just read a portion of this to you. The report says, By all accounts, Pentecostals and related charismatic movements represent the fastest-growing segment of the church globally. According to the World Christian Database, at least a quarter of the world's two billion Christians are thought to be members of these lively highly personal faiths, which emphasize such spiritually renewing gifts of the Holy Spirit as speaking in tongues, divine healing, and prophesying. I just like that they defined us as highly personal and lively. That feels like this church. They said, despite the rapid growth of the renewalist movement, and that's how they quantify Pentecostal and charismatic movements. Despite the rapid growth in the last few decades, There's been few quantitative studies on this religious, uh, on the religious, political, and civic views of individuals involved in these groups. So to address this shortcoming, the Pew Forum on Religious and Public Life, with generous support from Templeton Foundation, conducted a survey in 10 countries with sizable renewalist populations. So in North America they served the United States in Central America or Latin America it was Brazil, Chile and Guatemala Kenya, Nigeria and South Africa in Africa and India, the Philippines and South Korea in Asia in each of these countries surveys were conducted among a random sample of the public at large as well as samples of pentecostals and charismatics now they specified that that pentecostals in this report are defined and described as those in classical Pentecostal denominations such as the Assemblies of God. Let me tell you what they found. All that to say, ten nations, multiple continents. We pulled a lot of people to figure out what's unique about this church. Here's what they found. Pentecostals are most likely to evangelize the lost. Pentecostals are most likely to take God's word literally. Most likely to apply scriptural beliefs to social and political issues. Least likely to deconstruct their faith. Most likely to experience healings, miracles, and divine revelation. And Pentecostals are the fastest growing segment of the body of Christ in the world. Yeah. It's it's almost like God intended the church to operate in the power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, it's like mind-blowing, isn't it? So Paul says, you want to know how this thing's happening? It's through the power. It's through the energy that Christ so powerfully works in Me As we get ready to close, I want to just invite you throughout this whole series, but in this moment, I want to invite you to look to Jesus. He is the fullness of God in bodily form, and yet he's fully man. He knows what you're facing. He knows what you're feeling. The Bible says he was tempted at all points that are common to man, yet was without sin. That might not make sense to the Gnostics, but it makes sense to a supernatural God who put on flesh. And not only did He walk a mile in our shoes, He left footprints when He did it. And when He took His shoes off, His feet stank sometimes because He was fully man. and He was acquainted with our suffering. Consider Jesus. He invites us to To live in a now reality. Week in and week out, I see people that that are discouraged. I'm not talking about lost people. I'm talking about people that were here last Sunday worshiping, seeking Jesus, serving Jesus, leading their family to Jesus. They were living the but now reality of of redemption. But sometime between Sunday and Saturday, they come back in this weekend and their heads low. Why? Because the enemy drove, pulled them back into their past. And just as sure as you can't go from 2022 back to 2021, you shouldn't let the enemy bring you back to being alienated from God, being an enemy of God. Stay in the now. But heed the warning that we must continue in the faith. We must hold on to the hope that is held out in the gospel how about today we end this service by making a commitment like paul communicated a commitment to serve the gospel and a commitment to serve the church even if it's hard even if it involves suffering to say i rejoice in this because at the end of the day the gospel's advancing the kingdom is being built paul said at another time my life is being poured out like a drink offering on the altar in other words there's 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 less and less of me, and there's more and more of the glory of Jesus ascending to his throne. How about we make a commitment to serve the gospel and serve the church? And let's make sure that we don't try to commit to do it in our own power, in our own strength. Would you stand with me? I want to just pray for you. As we get to the end of this service here, I'm about to just pray over everyone in the house, but I want to extend an invitation. Listen, I hope you didn't make it this far in the service without without drawing near to Jesus. I hope you haven't made it this far in the service without saying, Give me Jesus. You can have this world. Give me Jesus. Lord, I, I confess my sin. I repent. I don't want to be an enemy of God. I want to receive redemption. But if you haven't, if you haven't done it yet, this is your moment. Friend, this is the, this is the time. Maybe you're here today and you just, you've just you been struggling. The lies of the enemy, those old accusations that just want to keep you defeated. Knock your feet out from under you. If you're here today and, and for that or any reason, you'd like somebody to pray with you, I want to invite you to come to this altar These altars are open here as I close in prayer. Just come and one of our prayer team will meet you here. We'll pray with you. We'll agree with you. We believe God wants to move in your life today. Would you pray with me, church? Father, today we thank you that we stand redeemed. Thank you, God, today that though our sins be as scarlet, you have washed them and made them whiter than snow. Thank you that today, for anyone that calls on the name of the Lord, they shall be saved. And there is now, according to your word in Romans 8, 1, no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Today, God, may we see spiritually that you see us as blameless, as faultless, without blemish. God, if there is any area of our lives we haven't surrendered to you, we do it now. Lord, if there's any area of our lives where we've we've moved away from the hope that is clearly communicated in the gospel, God, we don't want to rest on any of that stuff. Lord, we want to come back. We want to come back to your truth. We want to come back to the cross, stained with the blood of the physical body of our Lord Jesus, the place of our redemption. And God, I pray today for the power of the Holy Spirit to be activated in the lives of your people. God, that we would sense all the energy of Christ so powerfully working in us. That, Lord, we would experience what Paul prayed for the church. That we would be strengthened with all power according to your glorious might. So that we may have great endurance and patience. Lord, fill your church with the power of the Spirit that when we leave this place today, there would be a new energy, a new resolve, a supernatural adrenaline to go out in full obedience to your commission, to build your church, to serve your work and your word in Jesus' name. Fill our lives, Lord. Fill our lives. And all God's people said amen. Come on, if you're thankful for his word in your life, would you just give him praise today? Come on, let's bless the Lord together. Thank you for your word, Lord. Let it work in us this week.